Your uh, practice regularly metta, loving kindness. Uh, even if our main meditation object is a different one, it's always good to use it as an uh, additional complementary, supplementary meditation object. I think there's few other meditations which can give us so quickly and easily uh, a feeling of success because loving kindness just feels good. But loving kindness is simply the intention, the intention of goodwill to all beings. The unconditional, non-discriminatory goodwill to everyone. So it doesn't matter whether we are talking about even other human beings or animals, whether ghosts or devas, brahmas, spirits. It doesn't matter whether people agree with us or whether they are against us. We are wishing them well. Do you all know the Metta Sutta? Many people, I think, know them in Pali, no? Karaniya, Matta, Kusalena. But do you know the meaning? Well, we are usually trying to recite it here in English on Sunday afternoons, because I think it's a great sutta to know by heart. And it's a kind of guided meditation. This is meditation instructions no? from the Buddha personally. This uh, beautiful kind of heart passage feeds us right in the center. Mata yata niyang putang ayusa ekaputam anurake. Just like a mother with only one child, she loves the child so much she would protect that child, even sacrificing her life. That is a beautiful, beautiful simile for that attitude. But then it continues, and that is where the difference comes. Because a mother may be willing to have this completely unconditional love and goodwill to her only child. But if it's someone else, if it's a stranger, or if it's a mother-in-law, the feeling may be very different. And the point of loving-kindness is to develop that attitude which the mother has to her only child, the same attitude but to absolutely everyone. Sukinova kemi no hantu sape sata bhavantu sukitata in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, as our translation in the chanting book is expressing it. May all beings have a happy self, may they be joyful and happy, may they live long, healthy and happily. Well, 
one nice thing about loving-kindness meditation is that you can think. Often people complain, they find it very hard to meditate and to develop samadhi because I can't stop thinking. So you don't have to stop thinking. You can just think and gladness and its safety may all beings be at ease. And gladness and its safety may all beings be at ease. Now there's nothing bad or harmful about that thought. There's nothing bad or harmful about that intention. This is all about good and uh, wholesome and beneficial. So if you wish and if you can have that wanting in the background of our mind throughout the day, people are quite capable to walk around with their earplugs listening to podcasts and to music all day. So similar, we can have that in the background of our mind. And the beautiful thing is that you may see some results of doing that very quickly. Now, even just thinking that a few times in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease, just 10 times, 20 times, and you may already notice that you feel lighter. Now, even medicine, even conventional medicine knows now, that anger can affect you know, the heart. And fairly choleric people who easily get angry and so on and have outbursts of anger, you know, they're a little bit more prone for having heart attacks. And so anger is you know, directly painful and restrictive and harmful you know, for the physical heart even. But matter is the opposite. It's like a panacea, a medicine that is no good for the whole body and is particularly good for the heart. There's a meditation where you may notice in your chest area how it's opening up as we are developing that intention. It's just a very beautiful and uplifting emotion that is connected with that intention. The moment we can generate the intention in our heart, then may all beings be happy and at ease, then we also bring up quite automatically you know, a feeling, an emotion that is connected with that. And it just feels good to wish others well. It feels good to wish ourselves well. Do you wholeheartedly wish yourself well? Do you sometimes sit there and think, may I be happy and at ease, may I live long, healthy and happily? Or does that sound almost odd to you? It's fascinating that many people feel kind of reluctant to wish themselves well. Maybe they feel they're not good enough or they've made mistakes. 
Fortunately, in the meta is unconditional. So even if you have made the worst mistakes one can possibly make, even someone who is a mass murderer, even that doesn't disqualify from loving kindness. So it doesn't matter, no warts and all, as they say. Whatever we have done or not done, whether we have any sins of omission or commission, or if we feel we have any shortcomings, completely irrelevant. There's only one condition to be a being, a living being. We all qualify for that. So I like to recommend to everyone to deliberately extend loving kindness to yourself. You deserve it, even if you think you don't. According to the teaching of the Buddha, we all deserve it. And sometimes people may think it's egoistic, but it's not really egoistic because if you wish yourself well, it's not only good for you, it's good for everyone. Who do you prefer hanging out with? A person who is grumpy, depressed and miserable? Or do you find it more rewarding and enjoyable to hang out with people who are happy and well and healthy? It's always much nicer if someone is happy and well. So if we wish ourselves to be well, happy, healthy, it benefits ourselves, obviously, but in the end also good for everyone else. When you feel really happy and well, like waking up on a holiday, and had a good night's sleep, and then you have a strong cup of tea, nice breakfast, and you're really happy. Is that usually the time when you feel angry and grumpy? No, no. If one is happy, it's quite easy to wish others well. If one is stressed out and a bad migraine, it's quite easy to get irrit irritated. So our own welfare and happiness is a very condition, a supporting factor for the welfare and happiness of others. And same other way round. If you wish others to be well, you will also benefit, because they tend to be much nicer if they're happy and well. And in any case, we are the first beneficiary. If you sit in your womb, in your home, and you radiate loving kindness, or you're even directed to one particular person, the loving kindness in the widest and fullest extent is an upper manya vihava, a boundless, limitless, infinite, unrestricted, dwelling place for the heart. But it can also be narrowed down and uh, you can direct the same energy just to one person or to a group or to a limited number. 
if you do that, if you sit and you radiate your loving kindness and direct it to just one person, and you're in your home, now that other person may not really notice that, they may not be aware. <laughs> but, but you get the benefit straight away. It just feels good. That's the reason that the Buddha taught that the desire is not necessarily having so much bad karma. Because if we keep our desires within the five precepts, one doesn't really make bad karma from going to a fancy restaurant, eating a very attractive meal and enjoying that. For example, there's no real much bad karma. So if you have another defilement of desire, craving, doesn't necessarily make much bad karma, but it's very difficult to abandon. It's sticky because it feels good. Now with anger, it is the opposite. Now the Buddha warned us that anger can easily lead to very bad karmic consequences. Now we can easily end up harming someone if we're angry. So the karmic effect tends to be stronger, the negative one. But the advantage is that anger is easier to abandon because it simply feels bad. And why would we want to hold on to something that feels outright painful straight away? So it's good not to develop that very basic quality of mindfulness, sati, the being aware of one's own emotions, being aware of one's own feelings. And then just watch any time during the day and when you catch yourself getting irritated, even angry, then have the mindfulness noticing it. And then have the mindfulness and check out what does it actually feel like to be angry. Because sometimes there's almost this desire, we want to indulge in that anger. But if we develop mindfulness and we look at that anger, in particular, what does it actually feel like when my heart is angry? A physical heart is pounding, when one feels hot. It's a very, uh, quite unpleasant emotion. The similar, when we develop that intention, that emotion of wishing well to all beings, and let us watch that with mindfulness. And what does it feel like in the heart? What does it feel like in the body? Uh, usually we can notice you know, the moment when we do have loving kindness, even just to one person, that feels really good. What is the reason that people love patting their dog and their cat? Do you enjoy that? Petting a dog or a cat? What is so enjoyable about it? It's the, the warm feeling you have and uh, they usually feel it back to you straight away. They, yeah, they show their gratitude or that they enjoy that. It's wonderful. 
Exactly. Now you get a feedback. They enjoy that if they are receiving that affection. But as you pointed out, it just feels good for you straight away. Because that is a form of loving kindness, of affection, of wishing well. And even if it's only to one dog or to one cat, you immediately feel good in doing that. I compare that to uh, watching television and cursing the politicians or something. What, what does that feel like? Noticing that difference. And the clearer that becomes, the more we can see the different mind state. What does it feel like being angry? What does it feel like wishing well? And quite naturally then we start abandoning anger and developing more loving kindness. And as I said, they also feed it back. It's quite fascinating when you develop unconditional goodwill and friendliness to all beings. Animals are often the first to pick it up. I think that they have just stronger instincts and they, in nature and they usually have to be able to figure out whether there's danger to their life because their life is constantly in danger for animals usually. So they need to have a good instinct on that. Humans are often a little bit more thick. <laughs> but if you radiate loving kindness, the cat may be coming to you and wanting to sit on your lap of all the people. I remember once visiting this, was a German couple in, in Perth, they had invited a few monks. And in that monastery we had this uh, black and white cat called Kit Cat. And there was always new showered with affection by everyone there and all the monks. And when I came in, they had a cat which looked virtually identical, had the very same kind of black-white patterns. So I immediately felt reminded of our monastery cat who really uh, appreciates the monks and is very tame. So when I came in and the cat was there and then I just walked straight up to him and petting him and hello, and he was quite happy. But the owners were really puzzled because usually the pet is very uh, grumpy to strangers, apparently. <laughs> and they, they wouldn't uh, tolerate being uh, petted just straight away by a stranger. And I fancied myself maybe to have quite a bit of loving-kindness. Well, that probably also helped that I just perceived him like a, a Kit Kat. So that can be in a beautiful feedback. It can even work for humans. If you have lots of loving kindness, you may notice that uh, human beings respond differently to you. There's this one occasion where the Buddha comes to Vesali. They had the famed, famous gabled hall, the huge meeting place where all the important people would meet, or almost probably in the whole little town. And when the Buddha came, um, everyone came up and paid respects to the Buddha. 
and Venerable Ananda, excuse me, a bit of hay fever. Venerable Ananda had an old friend from lay life living there, and that guy never had faith in the Buddha just didn't believe that the Buddha has anything special or that he has any special insight or anything. It's completely lacking faith. And Venerable Ananda, who had so much faith in being a stream enterer, having the insight into the Dhamma, and so much affection to the Buddha, now that was always a big disappointment for him. But on that occasion, he saw his old friend coming and bowing to the Buddha. And he felt so happy that his old friend finally had developed some confidence in the Buddha and the Triple Gem. And he went up to him later and kind of expressed his rejoicing and he's so happy. And the friend told him, no, it's not, I don't have any faith at all. But the city council has put out a fine and if you don't come to pay respects to the Buddha, you get fined. (laughs) This is the only reason I came. So poor Venerable Ananda was very disappointed that this friend insisted on his rejection of the Buddha and the Triple Gem. So he asked the Buddha whether he could do something. And because Venerable Ananda spent his whole life, or at least 25 years, like a shadow doing everything for the Buddha, but I certainly felt also gratitude to him and appreciation. And he was quite happy to indulge Venerable Ananda and use his super powerful mind. He said it's very easy for the Tathagata. And the Buddha just focused his mind and sent loving kindness to that person who just had the old faith. And about an hour later, Suddenly, you know, the monks in the monastery and walking meditation, and suddenly this person came running into the monastery and started inquiring, where is the blessed one? Where is the fortunate one? Where is the Buddha? We wish to see the Lord Buddha. And the monks directed him to the kuti of the Buddha and told him, if you clear your throat and then knock, he will let you in. And the scriptures describe, you know, just like a calf is running after its mother, so this man, after the Buddha had radiated loving kindness to him with his powerful Buddha mind, and was running into the monastery and then bowing to the Buddha and expressing his faith and devotion and affection. I mean, don't expect it quite so strongly. If you don't have the mind of a Buddha, you might not get that full effect. But usually no one can uh, notice a difference. And even if you are very tough people, over time you can notice how your loving kindness may gradually soften their heart. However, very important, don't do it with that condition. This comes as an effect, but you are not demanding that. It's a loving kindness wouldn't be pure anymore. In this case, the Buddha did it very particular for Venerable Ananda. 
but uh, if you do your loving kindness it's very important it's not like okay now I give you all this affection and wishing well and then I expect that you also have friendliness back to me well, then it may not work because true loving kindness is unconditional yes Exactly, a very important comment. That's not meant to be a purely thinking head exercise. Now the idea is when you repeat these words in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Now the idea is that it should generate now the feeling, the emotion. And that feeling, that emotion, that can be quite physical. So... That is usually the crucial first step to get it really going, to get the feeling going. And you have to be a little bit patient. You continue repeating. And as I said, there can be techniques which will support the development of the more holistic feeling and emotion. For example, to direct your awareness away from the head. Most of us, we perceive ourselves, so to speak, I am the guy behind the eyes somewhere in my brain is a very common one in our culture so it can be helpful if you try to put your awareness more in the chest area where your physical heart is and as you said it can be very helpful to imagine uh, some nice warmth particularly in the winter season where warmth is helpful if it's really hot here in Brisbane 40 degrees then you can imagine actually a nice the cooling sensation in your chest. There's some pleasant sensation. That's a good one. To connect in a matter with a really beautiful, pleasant sensation which you physically note in your uh, own body, particular chest area. And then imagining it like uh, sunshine. The sun is so many millions of kilometers distant and we can lie in the grass and enjoy the warmth the sun is giving us. So we can imagine our matter quite physically, like we have some warmth in our heart area and are willing to bathe other beings in that same warmth. Another trick is for certain people, someone where you feel strong matter or even again the animal the feeling may be there straight away and then mindfully you notice it so you relate in a situation when you are with a good friend uh, a really caring loving auntie who was always so kind to you or even an animal and now you mindfully check out now what does it actually feel like when you have this affection and unconditional wishing well, at least to that one animal or being or person. And then you can remember that. And it can be quite helpful and when you start your metta meditation in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. So bring up in your memory what does that emotion feel like. And then... By remembering it, you can generate it. And a very common thing is anyhow that we don't start with matter to everyone, but you start with one being and the easiest you can possibly find. But try to make it a real 
being which is still alive. Because as you said, now, there is some feedback and even if the being is far away, now, there may still be some mental connection. Whereas if someone has passed away, now, there may have been so major changes, no longer the same person, the ones who are reborn, so to speak, it may not work so well to get started. I'm talking only about starting here. Now, once you are uh, further down in that meditation, you can include absolutely everyone. But now, for the very first being to get that feeling going, it's better if the being is really alive and if it's not just fantasy. Now, if you choose some fluffy or cute animal, now choose one which is really existing alive. But other than that, now you just pick whatever is the easiest. If you have no idea, pick the donkey in our... No, somehow I really like donkeys. I find them extremely cute. And they can be very affectionate. Or the, the little sweetie pie. Do you, have you ever seen the, the miniature horse or this little pony? Uh, there's actually two now. The neighbors have one and uh, the other guys. And sometimes they have one here on our property. We allow them to eat the grass. I mean, a little pony or miniature horse, I think, is quite easy. Now, so pick whatever is the easiest. Because that is the first crucial breakthrough, to have at least one being where you're not only doing a kind of mental gymnastics, repeating words, but where you get to the stage you know, that you actually feel something. I think that is really the crucial breakthrough to get your meta going being able to have a more like physical feeling, not just thinking. And once you have that feeling, then it's actually not that difficult to give it out to more and more people. Yeah. Um, there was something else that was holding me back from the branch. Yeah, someone is just sharing, she sometimes had difficulties saying, may everyone be happy and well, that it appears just like wishful thinking. And then uh, some other formula, and may you have the resources to deal with all your difficulties was more effective for her. Now that is a very important uh, um, supportive technique. Now you don't have to use whatever is the most common formula. Now when I use this uh, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, I use it because it's directly from the Buddha and it's a translation we use in our chanting regularly. People are familiar. By no means do I intend to state that this is the way you have to uh, practice matter. It can be very helpful if you think about it and even write it down and work it out. Now, what formula works best for you? And that may differ by different people. Totally agree. And that is in itself already a fantastic exercise. Now, when you write that down, and as you said, uh, the matter you direct to someone who is really difficult may require a different formula. If you just wish them, may you be healthy and strong, then you may feel they may harm me even more. <laughs> if they become stronger and healthier, then the attack may be even more powerful. But if you wish them, for example, may you be filled with loving kindness, 
if someone has loving kindness themselves, they will not attack you. So for me, if someone was causing me difficulties, to wish them, may you be free from anger, may you have loving kindness to all beings, uh, works for my mind better than just wishing them to be strong and healthy and live long. Exactly. So depending on the person, you adjust the formula. And the work of finding the best formula is already part of that meditation. You make already progress because you figure out what does it actually mean to wish someone well, what does it mean to be well, what is really valuable there. Mm. Sometimes it can also be good, if it's in a more closer environment, to combine matter with action. Some friendly, some friendly speech can bring that out. Giving gifts is great. If you really can't stand someone, they give them some gifts. And really we feel different about that person. It's almost impossible not to, and if, even just trying to figure out what would be a nice gift for them. It's a good exercise, and you will find that if you really dislike a person, you for what could I give to them? It's already an exercise not to figure that out and then doing it can break barriers. Is loving kindness for the live stream? Is loving kindness effective against wild animals and snakes? You see, we have a special paritta, a kanda paritta given by the Buddha, and is meant against snake bite. So that is a paritta, a protective charm, which is very authentic and originally given by the Buddha for that purpose. And it starts with the story that uh, there was a monk, a monk in Savati who got bitten by a snake and then died from the snake bite. And they reported that to the Buddha. And the Buddha states that this monk cannot have fully pervaded the four royal clans of snakes with unconditional loving-kindness because if he had pervaded all four clans of royal snakes with unconditional loving-kindness, he would not have died bitten by a snake. It's quite a powerful statement and this is one of the special Tathagata Bala, the Baba Ababa, what is possible, what's impossible. And he said, no, he wouldn't have died. It's not clear from the Pali syntax, you can't say whether it means that he had not been bitten or whether it only means that even if he had been bitten, he would not have died. And then the Buddha at that occasion gave that particular chant, and continuing. And it's basically just radiating loving-kindness. Apparently in ancient India they divided all kinds of snakes into kind of four different kind of families or groups. It is probably different from how they are divided now according to modern biology, but it doesn't matter so much because in the end they're all included. I once uh, saw a nice translation of that one which they chanted on Magnetic Island. 
where it was the translation was adjusted to Australian conditions. And my love to the brown snakes adders, my love to the taipans too, <laughs> included with the typical Aussie snakes. And then the Pavita uh, continues, giving loving kindness to those with uh, four feet, those with two feet, those with no feet, those with many feet. And this was basically just a chant on loving kindness. And then a request that is an interesting one. After you did all this loving kindness to them, then you still request them to retreat. So loving kindness doesn't always have to be huggy huggy. And when it comes to snakes, uh, it is a good idea and the poisonous snakes to have some distance. And it's not a contradiction to have loving kindness to the snake, but at the same time to ask the snake to retreat a bit and not to be in the directly in the in the human environment. So that no accident happened. It's not because one is against the snake but uh, it just leads to conflict. Someone may step on the snake, then the snake bites, and then it gets attacked, and so on. So this one is interesting to see that we don't always have to imagine loving-kindness to be totally huggy-huggy. There's the benefits of loving-kindness where the Buddha mentions on a very high developed level it can even protect you from fire and poison, but for that, uh, to, ach to achieve that, you would need it on the level of full samadhi. So uh, my personal recommendation is, you know, by all means, you know, chant the Kandapavita, particularly if you end up you know, having to walk through a, um, high grass or something where there's some danger of snakes. But at the same time, be also careful. Don't rely only on the pavita because your loving kindness may yet, not yet be on samadhi level. So, for example, in the dark, always have a light. If you're out in the dark in the monastery, I tell you that always in other residents and monks, never walk without a torch, without a flashlight at night. But if you do get bitten by a snake, what's the first thing? That's maybe the second thing, maybe. The first thing is loving kindness. So don't uh, respond with fear, with anger, but try to immediately, even at that stage, usually you should do it earlier, but even if you're Notice only once you're bitten that immediately try to radiate loving kindness. Because the loving kindness will calm down your metabolism and it means that the poison will likely spread less quickly. But of course, by all means, also get the antivenom and do whatever is medically required. But rather than going into fear or anger and loving kindness, and I'm sure it has a positive effect. Now I see the poison is almost like coagulated or concentrated hatred. The snake puts this very strong intention to attack and even kill into this material poison. And loving kindness is kind of a little bit the opposite. So it will be beneficial.
I'm not saying that you can overcome the, any snake bite, nor even the uh, bone snake and hyphen just by loving kindness, but uh, it will have a positive effect in addition to anti-venom and so on. However, the Buddha also recommends asavas, parivacita, certain things you just want to avoid. And if you have wild animals, a good idea is to avoid them. I remember when Patch once took the monks out to outing in nature and then we had a property in the area. We had to look and we had these herd of cows and then she got us some feed for the cows and of course I felt a nice idea we visit the cows and we feed them a little bit practical loving kindness and noticing the happy feeling on your feet an animal and we had to find them on that property and so I was going in and very tall long legs and I was ahead of everyone else looking looking for the cows and then I saw the one black cow and I was happy, oh, finally I found the first, and then with my feet and, and walking up. And as I'm getting closer, and I'm looking, this is quite a big cow. And getting closer, and I realize it's actually a bull. And she had, forgot, <laughs> she had forgotten to mention that they have a bull there as well. And I was walking white, and with quite a good speed, I was walking white into this bull. And I, I didn't just say, oh, I just do loving kindness and walk up to him and start feeding him. But I would uh, decide on a strategic retreat and I would fall back, radiating loving kindness. So don't take any risk there. It's a smart idea to avoid a raging bull, a raging elephant and so on. You can combine it, and you have loving kindness, but you still are careful not to keep your distance. Yeah. Here's a question about that uh, sutta benefits of metta, and that it can protect you if it has been very deeply and profoundly developed, that it can protect you even from uh, fire, poison, and weapons. And uh, a suggestion by one teacher that this is meant uh, only in a metaphorical way and that these are just metaphors or symbols for greed, hatred and delusion. Um, I think sometimes you know, there can be both a metaphorical and a literal meaning. Looking at the Pali text, uh, I'm not really aware that there's other examples where the Buddha uses you know, sattha, sattha as a word for sword, weapon, visa, poison, and the other for fire, maybe agi, what is it? Agi? Agi, no. Um, now we had the fire sermon, and there the Buddha does talk about you know, the fire of the defilements and so on. But particular sattva and visa, um, my feeling is more that it's meant quite literally. But the problem is you know, that... Um, what this teacher maybe was concerned about, that people don't get too light-hearted or negligent and take dangerous risks, believing that just thinking may all beings be happy and well, we protect them. If you're in Ukraine in that war there, I think 
you need a very uh, heavy level of matter in it to protect you. I think the protection will be gradual. And even if you do a little bit of matter, it will not protect you when there's a, a strike with a caliber missiles coming in. But if you're walking through the street, it may make the difference that a gangster may attack actually a different person. It's quite well known that there are sometimes psychological profiles where people are more likely to be attacked and to be victims of crime. And if you really have strong matter, you probably have an energy, a radiance, which already reduces it. So I think it's not a like like a complete quantum leap, you have no protection and then samadhi and then you have got full protection. But even a little bit of matter makes it less likely that you get into trouble and strive. Why, why would anyone want to poison you if you constantly wish well to everyone? Why would they want to attack you and it makes it already less likely? But I would see the main meaning, my personal opinion, in, in the literal sense. But only you know, if that, as the Buddha states in that sutta, Yanikataya, Vattokataya, Susamarataya, Paulikataya, and so on, really develop, made as a firm foundation, and so on. You were also seeing that someone was taking it lit uh, not literally, but metaphorically. Mm -hmm. yeah, it certainly works no, um, that it will reduce it. Of course, the matter is not, I think, the very strongest power not to really eliminate illusion. That may be, to my mind, an argument of, uh, against the metaphorical interpretation. Because I don't think the meta is a sufficient tool in it to really protect you from delusion. Mm. But it will suddenly you know, reduce particular, particular anger, what you really also desire. Okay, thank you for all the feedback. And Please radiate loving kindness to everyone, cane toads, ugly cane toads, cute koalas, to everyone, whether they like you or they hate you, to everyone, whether it's fellow Dhamma Fervas or other religion or atheists or non-believers, to everyone, whether it's your nationality or a different nation, a different race, without distinction, without ill will, unconditional goodwill for the whole universe.